up Dolph fans and welcome to the drive time podcast part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team your Miami Dolphins each and every day how's it going everybody it is Wednesday one day away from the big holiday Thanksgiving I am your host Travis Wingfield and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football and on today's show we are turning the page and getting on to New York The Dolphins ship off to the Meadowlands for the second game this season with the Jets and a chance to pull within one game in the all-time Dolphins and Jets rivalry. We're going to hear from Coach Flores on possible offensive line changes if a couple of starters can't go, improving the run defense and his favorite holiday and the Flores Thanksgiving traditions. Plus, we'll preview the game in depth as we do on Wednesdays and finish up with some player media availability. All of that and more on this Wednesday November the 25th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Hey Dolphins fans, the new year starts now at AutoNation. Let's skip the rest of 2020 and get to big New Year savings on your favorite AutoNation Chevys, Fords, Toyotas, Hondas, and more. Shop safely at the AutoNation store near you or AutoNation.com and save right now. Let's go ahead and turn this thing over to Brian Flores' Wednesday morning media availability. We got plenty of talk on Thanksgiving, but we also talked plenty of football here. And we'll start with Coach discussing the Dolphins' potential contingencies in the absence, or potential absence, I should say, of Jesse Davis or Solomon Kinley. Davis, of course, added to COVID IR earlier in the week, and Solomon Kinley was taken out of the game with an aggravated foot injury that he entered the game with on Sunday. Let's go ahead and get to Coach on some of the guys who have been on the offensive line this season, we just haven't seen very much of them because the starting offensive line has been relatively healthy. You know, we're going to have to see how this goes you know, in practice. Um, you know, we've got you know, a few few guys who haven't played much but have been prep practice well uh, in training camp and you know, throughout the course of the year. So, you know, you mentioned Dieter, uh, Panky, uh, Davenport. You know, we've got a, you know, some guys who um, have played in games, have some experience. And um, we'll see how it goes in practice. I think they're all uh, rearing for an opportunity. And if, it, if that opportunity presents itself, then we'll just we'll have to see how it goes in practice and, and get the, the best five out there and uh, the best combination of players. And like Coach says, if that opportunity does in fact present itself, you could be getting a look at one of those three guys. He mentioned Adam Pankey and Julian Davenport, who both have played sparingly this season. Pankey has been an additional eighth offensive lineman when he's been active and and on the game day roster with not on the inactive list for game days. And Julian Davenport also came into the Seahawks game way back in week four and played 25, 26 reps and did a pretty damn good job out there at left tackle. And then you also heard him talk about Michael Dieter, who... We haven't seen him once this season. He's been a, you know, where you want your reserve lineman to be because, again, good health on the offensive line is paramount. But I'm, I am curious to see what maybe Dieter looks like in his second year if he is to get the opportunity to play a little bit down the stretch here. He played some guard, some tackle last year even, played some center in college. This guy has some versatility. He's a smart kid, a tough, a tough kid, and a hard worker. And, of course, he had those consecutive start streak at Wisconsin, the type of guy that you can really develop and grow in your pro. Program. And so with each of those three guys, as coach always talks about rookie, veteran or otherwise, you're always going to be developing these players on your roster. 
a little bit of me is curious to see what we have in those three guys if the opportunity does, in fact, present itself. So again, one of these issues of depth, a good problem to have, right? It's a problem if you don't know who to play because you have so many good guys. That's a good problem to have if you're the Miami Dolphins. Up next, Coach discussed briefly here the engagement or interaction with Tua Tunga-Vailoa after the decision to go to Ryan Fitzpatrick on Sunday in the Denver game. Here's Coach on Tua's response to the benching. He's, he's been fine. Uh, I think it's... it's a little bit of adversity um, means that's never hurt anyone. He's he's fine. Uh, we, we did our normal Tuesday meeting yesterday. Uh, went through the Jets and you know no issues. And up next, Miles Gaskin is eligible to come off the injured reserve this week if he is ready. If the Dolphins feel he is ready to be activated, here's Coach Flores on the potential of Miles Gaskin's return. Miles is uh, you know doing everything he can to get back. Uh, he's eligible to. Come off. We'll make a decision on that here, you know, whether or not he comes back to practice. So, um, but he's he's definitely made some some gains over the last few weeks, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And let's get one more football question here for Coach before we start talking about Turkey, Ham, and Thanksgiving. Here's Coach talking about the run game, both offensively and defensively. Just got to continue to you know, practice, uh, and then it's about execution. And I think. We got to try to find different ways to, you know, put the players in better positions to, uh, to, to have some success in the run game uh, on both sides, offensively and defensively. You know, there's a there's a lot of different ways to do things in this league. You know, different personnel,s different schemes. So we haven't we haven't tried every every avenue. I don't think any team has, um, but we have to do what, um, you know, keep keep looking for those those different ways to create some opportunity for ourselves you know, whether it's in the fits something that we, we we're unfamiliar with and maybe we do that but at the same time you know the things that there are always hey if we did if we, if we got one block we would have sprung that one or if you know we handled that movement we would have sprung this one there's a little bit of back and forth on the best ways to 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 try to make those improvements but you know they're constant constant conversations and we've been having them um we have them every day not necessarily just on the things that we struggle with, but you know, even the things that we haven't struggled with. So, uh, you know, that's coaching. I mean, we, there's a lot of you know different conversations and communication, and we're all just trying to get better. You know, Chan, Josh, Danny, I mean, they're just constantly trying to do everything they can to help you put these guys in position to to be successful. Um, we'll continue to do that. Really enjoy hearing that note there from Coach about the single instances that can disrupt a play we talk about a team game all the time on this podcast all the time with coach about how play execution requires 11 guys most of the times to make it happen and if you have one leak or one problem it can blow things up and and, you know watching the all 22 we talked about it on the tuesday podcast i've you see that a few times whether it's the passing game the running game defensively offensively whatever it might be I think that there's so many instances where this team might be even closer to having more of a running game, better run defense, and playing better football. And that's funny to say, off of a five-game winning streak, you know, the previous loss in Denver notwithstanding, but a team playing good football, I've talked about it for weeks now that there is some more meat on the bone. And so it's cool to hear Coach Flores talk about how those one block or the, the one movement, if we handle something a little better, maybe we can get if not significant, at least marginal improvements in these areas that can have a greater impact on the in, on the result of these games on Sunday. Let's go ahead and finish up here with Coach Flores talking about Thanksgiving. Says his favorite holiday. Got to love him for that. 
but you also have to love this comment on the things that Coach is thankful for this holiday season. You know, I'm thankful for health. I think the first thing that came to mind, I'm thankful for my wife, puts up with my nonsense on a daily basis and handles our household and is a great mother to our kids and a great wife and a great, you know, everything. So, you know, she's the first person that comes to mind. You know, my family, I'm thankful to be the head coach of this team. I, I'm very blessed. You know, my life could have gone a few different ways and, um, you know, to be sitting in this position is, I'm thankful for it. And how about the most important topic of the day, turkey or ham? We're, we're a turkey and ham family, so you'll see both on the table. Um, you know, my mom, this was her this was her holiday, so it's funny. She actually, uh, um, I think Jenny stole a few of her recipes, so I still get a little taste of mom's cooking on Thanksgiving. So, um, but yeah, we're a turkey, ham, stuffing, potatoes, greens. I mean, there's a lot on the table. There's, there's always too much. And so that's really cool note there from Coach. Talk about you know his wife carrying on his mother's recipe, so he can still have that taste of of back home and childhood. And that's kind of what holidays and Thanksgiving are all about. And he talked about turkey and ham there. I'm gonna go ahead and drop my power rankings here for you guys on the best Thanksgiving dishes. And personally, I'm a turkey guy. I think the protein is the most important aspect because you got to have protein at every single meal. But really, there's only four dishes that actually matter on Thanksgiving, and they are. Turkey. The ham is fine, but I think where the turkey really takes its game to the next level is the mixture of turkey with the true champion of the entire meal, where the turkey really leaves the ham in the dust. It's the mashed potatoes and gravy. That combination of just kind of slathering it all together and eating it kind of like a KFC famous bowl, like you're 12 years old again, that's my go-to move. So turkey, mashed potatoes and gravy, and stuffing, you have to have stuffing, and I don't really care if it's stovetop or whatever, it's just good stuff regardless, and that goes into the mix mash of the famous bowl, and then the fourth and final dish is the green bean casserole. You can take everything else, take your cranberry sauce, take your yams, take your whatever. Also, please give me a dinner roll, but those are the four things I need most importantly, is the mashed potatoes and gravy, the turkey, stuffing, and the green bean casserole, but most importantly, it's the family, the football, and the spirits for me. My wife's family kind of adopted me as one of their own when we first met about five years ago, and that became a Thanksgiving Day tradition for us going over to her father's house. We would get the drinks going, get the food going, get the football on the television. That's the best part about having a wife with a father who loves football. Make sure you have that because then you can sit there and watch the games all day and not be preoccupied with parades or other nonsense that no one no one wants to watch that stuff football's on the tv that's the most important thing but um that tradition started about five years ago for us unfortunately with the way the world is right now it stops this year hopefully we can continue that in the future but that's the best part about thanksgiving spending time with the people you love and watching football speaking of football how about dolphins and jets on sunday let's go ahead and break down this game on the preview article up on miamidolphins.com and I know we have a 6-4 and four Dolphins team against an 0-10 Jets team. Kickoff is at 1 o'clock. Thankfully, I'm so looking forward to a 1 o'clock kickoff again on Sunday, November 29th at MetLife Stadium. 50 degrees, mostly sunny, 20% chance of rain, and 7-mile-an-hour winds. And again, I know it's an 0-10 football team, but do you really need motivation to get up for Jets week? I certainly don't because the old adage in the NFL says that there are two outcomes to any game, winning and learning, and head coach Brian Flores is adamant that there is no such thing as a perfect game. So this team is always going to be on the search, as you even heard him talk about in his press conference today, on the search for improvement in all areas of the game. And this is the first time in almost two months this Dolphins team has to go to the learning side of that adage. Again, they learn every week, but 
winning or learning. You come off your first loss in almost two months. I'm really curious to see how this team responds to that game and to, you know, a, a game they go into as, as favorites as far as what the national media perspective is and, you know, all the talk about this team having a chance to get to nine and three. I want to see if maybe they can take some of that medicine and say, you know, we can't read the press clippings. We have to be a focus on every single day. And not to say that they're not that, but I am curious to see how they respond, come out of the gates, keep playing well in the first part of games, in the first quarter, in the first half. Coach did say, hopefully we learn from that game. I think there are other plays throughout the game that we didn't make from drop balls, a protection standpoint defensively in the running game. It looked like we came clean on a a pump block and didn't make that one either. We've got to take advantage of our opportunities. So I want to see how they take advantage of the opportunities this game on Sunday presents them up in New York. And the opportunity there? To sweep a division rival. Things have not gone the way the Jets hoped this season, obviously at 0-10, still in search of their first victory. But that doesn't mean they're bereft of talent on either side of the football. We saw how disruptive that defensive line can be a few weeks in a row. They played well against Miami in the second half of that game. They got after the Patriots a few weeks ago, played well in that game. And last week against the Chargers, they were throwing into the end zone with a chance to tie the game after the two-minute warning and had a chance to go win that football game too. So they're not far off from winning games. That's how this league goes. We heard Byron Jones on his Monday press conference talk about how down this stretch, this part of the season, you're going to get tighter football games. You're not going to have the benefit of jumping out to those early leads. You need to make sure you're playing sound, solid football every week, 60 minutes a week, and be ready for whatever the opposition is going to throw at you. Whether they're trying to stay in the playoff race themselves or they're trying to spoil your playoff run, things get tighter this time of year. And with that, we go to our first matchup uh, highlight of the week here. And I just wrote down to beat the blitz on the article because Greg Williams, the Jets defensive coordinator, he loves to turn the heat up. He plays that single high look with everybody up on the line of scrimmage, a safety about 20 yards off the ball. It's akin often to what Miami does with Bobby McCain playing that deep center field. They'll use that deep center and center fielder and Marcus May to kind of patrol things back there. They send an extra rusher. They blitz at the 10th most frequent clip in the NFL. That's 30.9%. And he'll draw up some... some exotic things, whether it's mugging up the A-gaps, coming with cat blitz, double cat blitz. You have two cornerbacks coming off either edge. You watch the tape. They find different ways to generate pressure. Again, kind of like Miami does in terms of using different various looks and different fronts like Josh Boyer talked about. Last year, they had the fourth highest clip of blitzing at 39.2%. So I'm sure there's a little bit of game plan strategy involved as far as how often they will send that blitz, but you know it's going to come. And the Dolphins counter to that is a quarterback who I've talked about all season long, all off season long, who excels against the Blitz and Tua Tungavailoa. He has thrown four of his six touchdown passes against the Blitz for a passer rating of 100.6 and an adjusted accuracy rating on pro football focus. That's on target footballs of 64.1%. And also the best way to help thwart the Blitz in addition to a quick release, a quick processor, replacing the Blitz with the football from the quarterback is blocking up the interior pass rush really helps give that quarterback that clean pocket in front so he can pick and slide to his spots and, and choose his, his platform to get to to have a safe avenue to throw the football. This season, the Dolphins' interior offensive line play with Eric Flowers and Ted Karras not missing a snap at left guard and center and then the right guard position being a, a bit of a mixed match between Solomon Kinley and Jesse Davis. Those four guys at those positions have allowed just 34 quarterback pressures and 11 quarterback hits this year on a combined 1,134 pass blocking snaps. So getting the interior uh, blitz block of the Jets should give Tua a chance to excel in our second area of highlight here. 
Let's get vertical. And that talks about the offense and defense. The Dolphins have struggled to push the ball vertically in recent weeks. According to Sharp Football Stats, Warren Sharp does fantastic analytics stuff on sharpfootball.com. Miami ranks 24th in explosive passing offense. Those are 20-plus yard plays at a 7.1% clip. The Jets rank 25th in the same category, allowing 9.8% big plays on defense in the passing game. Tungavailoa back in college, he was a downfield master. 19 for 39 on throws, 20-plus yards down the field, almost 50% on what traditionally is a low percentage throw, and he hit those for nine touchdowns and no picks. Well, as a member of the Dolphins here in the NFL, he's 3 of 12 on those deep throws, so I do expect that gap to be closed here a little bit. Can it start this week? Hopefully. Per pro football focus, four Jets cornerbacks have allowed better than 14 yards per reception this season, so there's some opportunity to get deep on this defense. Again, we talk about the single high safety and everybody mugged up on the line. You get that thing blocked, you're going to have one-on-one opportunities to whichever side the safety does not cheat, so it's going to be up to Tua to kind of hold that safety and to move him to the opposite side of the field and to create no help on guys like Devontae Parker, maybe Mike Gesicki or Jakeem Grant, whoever it might be that wants to get vertical. Tua's job is to move that safety and create that opportunity. And tight end Mike Gesicki, he's responsible for Miami's longest offensive play this season, that 70-yarder back in Week 5 at San Francisco. But the next longest play for this Dolphins passing game among active players, Preston Williams not counting because he does have a 47-yarder and a 32-yarder and a 35-yarder, is a 30-yard completion to receiver Jakeem Grant. So I do expect this passing offense to get more vertical, to get better in that area. And because last season, Devontae Parker caught 20 passes of 20 or more yards through 10 games this year, he's only caught two of those. So there are areas for growth right there for the Dolphins' deep passing offense. And the third and final note here is to make the Jets quarterback feel the heat. We kind of use this every single week, and there's a reason for it, because the Dolphins' defense has implemented the same recipe in the six victories this season. In six wins, 133 quarterback pressures per PFF. That's 22.2 pressures per game, compared to 46 pressures in the four losses, just 11.5, so almost half as many pressures in the losses, and that includes a season-high 29 pressures in the Week 6 win over the Jets, a 24-zip shutout that featured seven three-and-outs, a turnover, and three sacks. And quarterbacks Joe Flacco and Sam Darnold both endure statistical drop-offs when under duress this season. Flacco's passer rating under pressure is 63.5, while Darnold's is 60.1. We'll find out which quarterback plays here shortly this week, I'm sure. And in the Week 6 shutout of the Jets, defensive end Emmanuel Ogbaugh collected a career-high 10 quarterback pressures and brought Flacco down for a pair of sacks. Fellow defensive end Shaq Lawson also had four quarterback pressures in that game. So a lot of pressures, 14 from your two main defensive ends in that game. If those guys can do that again, the Dolphins should have a good chance to put the Jets offense on ice, put the clamps on them and hold them to a low point total once again. And hopefully that helps them get back to the victory circle. The Jets scheme offensively, they rank 32nd in scoring at 14.9 points per game total yards at 268.6 per game and passing at 170 point or 170 per game their 98.6 rushing yards per game is 26 in the NFL and under Adam Gase we know about this they love to run the 11 personnel package one or one running back one tight end three receivers they've called that 75.3 percent of their offensive snaps this year and only one other personnel grouping 12 personnel which is one back two tight ends two receivers Only one other grouping has been called more than 10 times. They've run 12 personnel 90 times. So you're going to get 11 personnel, 
you're going to get 12 personnel. That's basically the gist of the offense. And traditionally, 11 personnel is matched up by what? Your nickel defense, right? Five defensive backs, whether it's three corners and two safeties, or we've talked about this before, Miami with a big nickel package going two cornerbacks with X and Byron Jones, and you bring Brandon Jones onto the field, and he works in that box. We heard Gerald Alexander on the Tuesday podcast talk a lot about his play speed, his trigger, his his preparation and putting it on the field. I love watching that guy play between both he and Raekwon Davis. Man, I think you got some big hits there in the draft in the second and third round at defensive tackle and safety, but we're getting off track here. Traditionally, 11 personnel is matched by the nickel defense, but the Dolphins' multiplicity tends to throw a curveball into the equation. As Josh Boyer said on Tuesday, we do numerous different things. We're very multiple with our fronts. And as far as the Jets' defense go, the aforementioned Tungavailoa stats against the Blitz are very applicable against Greg Williams with the 10th highest pressure rate, or Blitz rate, I should say, at 30.9%. But their pressure rate has been 32nd this year at 15.1%. And few teams batten down the hatches in the red zone like the Jets. Their 52.2% red zone touchdowns allowed rate is fourth best in the National Football League. On the whole, the Jets' defense is allowing 30.2 points per game. That's 31st in the NFL. They rank 28th in total defense, allowing 400 yards per game, 30th in passing, and 11th in rush defense. New York lines up in nickel defense, five defensive backs, 80% of the time. That's the second highest rate in the National Football League. We talked about this off the top. The Dolphins have a chance to cut the Jets' all-time series lead to one. They currently lead 55 to 53 with one tie in there as well. The Dolphins do have the lone postseason victory over the New York Jets. And Tungavailoa is one of three rookie quarterbacks in the Super Bowl era to not throw an interception in his first four career starts. He joins Gardner Minshew, go Cougs, and Dak Prescott in that category. And in his last 20 games since week seven of last season, Devontae Parker is seventh in the NFL with 1,435 receiving yards over that span. His 10 receiving touchdowns since then are tied for 10th in the NFL. And he has a way of making big plays against this Jets team, caught a couple of touchdowns against them last season, make some big plays down the football field. I think he's going to have some opportunities on those deep shots from Tua in this game. And I, I think they're going to connect on one or two of those deep shots. Gesicki ranks eighth among NFL tight ends with 414 receiving yards. His 14.8 yards per reception is the highest among all NFL tight ends, a minimum 15 receptions. And the Dolphins defense has a habit of limiting opposing offenses to some of their worst statistical days of the season. Miami held the Chargers to just 273 net yards in Week 10. They forced four turnovers against the Rams in Week 8 and held the 49ers to 128 net passing yards in Week 5. So a consistent theme there. I hope, I think this Dolphins team can get back on track this week against the Jets on the road, get a big victory on the road, come back home for a three-game homestand in December. Would be a nice run there to head into that stretch at 7-4. and four. All right, there's your Dolphins and Jets preview. Let's go ahead and finish up this podcast with some player media availability from Wednesday afternoon. Let's go ahead and start with quarterback Tua Tungavailoa, who first was asked about adjusting to different receiver types that he has here in Miami. Obviously, Devontae Parker is six foot three. Jakeem Grant is five foot seven. Some speed variants there. Tua talks about the difference in the receiver types and how to adjust to that. And he starts the question, or the answer rather, by repeating the question, how do you make those adjustments? Exactly what you said at the end. I think that's what it is. It's all about adjusting. Um, you know, we have... We have a fast guy. I think all our guys are fast. Um, the thing is, you know, we, we really have one really, really fast guy, and that's Jakeem. And, um, you know, I think for, for me, it's just finding who I'm throwing to, knowing the timing with those guys, understanding who's running that route um, and things like that. So it's, 
it, it's really just all about adjusting. So um, now that's why we have practice and I got to continue to be better on giving these guys opportunities to have good run after catches. Up next, Tua was asked to reflect upon his initial meeting with Brian Flores back when the two first met and to now and how that relationship has evolved and to kind of break down who Brian Flores is as a coach and as a person around the building every single day with his players. Yeah, Coach Flores is a very passionate, he, he's very passionate as a coach um, he's, and he's very disciplined um, as a person, you know, with the things he does. Um, I mean, I, I would say as a team, you know, the more success we have, you know, the in a way, the guys start to kind of lay back a little. But, um, you know, that has never been the case while um, I, I've been here with Flo. You know, we never change anything. Um, and the recipe to success is how we go out and practice every day. And, I mean, it's really with his philosophy is you got to work hard, you know, to, to go out and you know, be successful. Go ahead and finish up here with the Miami Dolphins quarterback with a question I had for Tua about the advantages of having a tape against the Jets already in their back pocket with Ryan Fitzpatrick there to walk him through the plays he saw, the defense he saw. Tua has a great answer here about taking ownership for himself and getting the film and, and getting the, the lessons applied himself. Here's Tua. I would say it, it helps tremendously. Fitz has been out there and he's seen this defense. Um... You know, he's, he's played against them. I've only had about like three snaps um, against them the last game we played. And, you know, just hearing his thoughts on where he would go with the ball, um, how to manipulate guys in the back end, and, you know, also what where we want to attack these guys. Um, but I think, uh, you know, a, a big deal with, with this too is I have to take ownership on, you know, being disciplined with, seeing things for myself as far as the film um, looks that they give and whatnot. Um, and to me, it, it goes back to discipline kind of like with what, uh, you know, with what coach Saban actually said, you either suffer from the pain of discipline or you suffer from the pain of defeat. Let's go ahead and move from the offense over to a defensive captain and safety, Bobby McCain, who first was asked about the way Coach Flores is after a victory, after a defeat, and how tough he is on the team after either of those two things. Uh, he's tough on us as a both. Even when you win football games, you still have to make corrections, and you still don't – no one plays a perfect game. So you still have to, you know, he still coaches either through wins and losses. We'll go ahead and finish up here with Bobby with a question about what is it that makes Coach Flores unique in the way he's been coached in the past and now in the NFL. Here's Bobby on his head coach. Uh, just you know, he, he he demands he demands what he asks for, and um, as a defense, as a team, offensively, special teams wise, we all understand you have to be hard, smart, and tough to play on, on this team, and uh, you know, play you know to do the things he asks. I mean, it's. He's a unique coach in a way that he can get the best out of his players. And, you know, he's a great teacher, a great coach. And, um, you know, we, um, we're just trying to just be the best we can each and every week for him. And same vice versa he is for us. And that's the one thing you pretty much always hear when the players or, or people in the media or people that know Coach Flores talk about him, that 
He's demanding. He's the same guy every day. And so the consistency of Flores, the answer regarding Coach Flores is always consistent. I find that to be pretty intriguing. All right. Let's go ahead and button up this podcast here, short and sweet, on this Wednesday. Have a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow, everybody. We are going to have the Andrew Van Ginkle feature. That interview is in the books. He's a fun guy to talk to. Got him to let the hair down a little bit in this podcast, so don't forget to check that out on Thursday. We also have the flashback on Friday with Dick Anderson talking about the Jets-Dolphins rivalry in the 70s, as well as the late great Jake Scott on the podcast here. As for today's time, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Don't forget to check out the Audible and the Fish Tank podcast. I cannot recommend the Devon Best episode enough. Great stuff from the guys at the Fish Tank as always. And of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.